0: Galatians chapter 6, we'll be finishing the book of Galatians this morning. And um, I'm really going to get sidetracked on two main thoughts here. I've called this pressing on or falling back. That's the title. And the main scriptures that I want to read are really verses 6 through 10. So let's go there. Uh, says, let him who is taught the word share in all good things with him who teaches. Do not be deceived, God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. For he who sows to the flesh will of the flesh reap corruption, but he who sows to the spirit of the spirit uh, shall reap everlasting life. And the main verse here, sow, let us not grow weary while doing good, for in due season you will reap if you do not lose heart. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all, especially to those who are of the household of faith. I do want to go verse by verse through this by just commenting on the first uh, five verses where it talks about restoration, and somebody does backslide for whatever reason, and you're friends with them. Um, If anybody is overtaken with a sin, you who are spiritual, restore him. Whom I'm thinking of is this guy from 1 Corinthians 5 that they had to kick out of church because of his sexual immorality within the church. So he was restored, but the reason he was restored as Paul said, kick him out of the church, turn him over to the devil, and let the devil work him over for a while, and then pray for his soul. Well, why would he say pray for his soul if he's saved? Answer, because he was deceived in thinking he was saved. He was not. First Corinthians 6, 9 says, These are the people that will not enter the kingdom of heaven, and adultery, which is what he was involved in, is one of those things. Everybody with me? So, But then he repents. It accomplished it. So I would apply that verse to this verse right here. So you who are spiritual, restore him, but don't go into it with an attitude, boy, I'm sure glad I'm not like you, <laughs> or something like that, but do it in humility and say we're really glad you uh, repented of your sins. We're really glad you're back into fellowship Want to make you feel welcome. And um, the admonition is to the one who's doing the restoring by saying, "Don't think too highly of yourself because you accomplished this. Because you restored this guy. don't get a big head about it. basically what is being said. And then we brings us to our text verses six through 10, and then when we close up this morning, I'll finish up by reading verse by verse these here. But I particularly want to remind you that through the whole book of um, that Paul is writing to the churches in Galatia, Paul has been on the defense that salvation is by grace alone through faith. And I know I'm being repetitive by qu- quoting a couple scriptures, but maybe you're here for the first time or watching live stream first time. Go back to chapter one. Galatians 1, verses six and seven, where as he begins to write to the churches, plural, he says, I marvel that you are turning away so soon from him who called you into the grace of Christ to a different gospel, which is not another, but they are some who trouble you and want to pervert the gospel of Christ. And then if you go to chapter three, the first three chapters, he says, O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you that you should not obey the truth before whose eyes Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed among you as crucified? This only I want to learn from you. Did you receive the Holy Spirit by the works of the flesh or the law or by the hearing of faith? Are you so foolish? having begun in the spirit, are you now going to be made perfect in the flesh? His argument is you cannot um, mix anything into the finished work, what Jesus said. It is finished. Work is done. You can't add anything to that. And what, there were some Pharisees who became believers. And what they would do is as Paul, as Paul went around to these churches, they followed Paul around. And then they would say things like, did Paul preach the gospel? Yep. Well, that's good. Gospel's true. Did he also tell you you have to keep the law too? No, he didn't tell us that. He says, well, you do. So all, the first four chapters of, of the book of Galatians is Paul trying to use any means necessary to prove the point that you cannot add, especially the law, This remember we made the point that this was something that was already settled in Acts chapter 15 when they said, well, there's Gentiles that are getting saved. What do we do with them? And so they had this big powwow and basically they wrote a letter to the Gentile churches and they said, we, we're not gonna lay a trip. Now huh, you can tell I a generation I grew up in, <laughs> we're gonna put it on you. We're not gonna put that burden on you. We couldn't do it ourselves. How can we expect you to do it? Um, there's common sense things that as a born-again Christian, you don't do. Like what the guy in 1 Corinthians 5 was doing. He was sleeping around. You don't go bar hopping every night. Uh, and yet, people that aren't born again, that's a big part of their lifestyle. So obviously there're certain things that we just let go of. And so that he's been arguing with this group and Paul goes as far as to say it's another gospel. It's not even the gospel. The gospel is Jesus Christ crucified, buried and risen again. Good place for an amen. That's the gospel. Period. So as we get to chapter 5 Um, the very first thing he after he's made his defense for all the reasons the verse one I want to read he says stand fast therefore and whenever there's a therefore what do we do? we ask what's it there for? well it's therefore therefore there (laughs) because of the first four chapters Salvation by grace through faith. Therefore, stand fast, therefore, in the liberty by which Christ made us free and do not get tangled again uh, with the yoke of bondage or, in other words, another gospel. Um, Let's look at work our way down to uh, reaping and sowing, whether we realize it or not, um, we're sowing right now. What are we sowing? Well, in the parable of the sower, the sower that went out to sow the seed, what was the seed? It was the word of God. And uh, the four different types of grounds were four different types of effects that it had on a human individual. And, um, So what we're doing as we're here this morning is whatever a man sows, that will he also reap. What are we sowing this morning? Well, we're sitting down, taking the Sunday morning off, and we're sowing and um, eating, if you would. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from God. The effect is after a period of time, you get it and you grow. You go from drinking milk of the word when you're first saved to eating healthy meat, the meat of the word. And you have uh, an understanding of um, some of the new guys that are um, in men's prayer often comment that they've never really gone through the whole Bible. And they couldn't believe how much Jesus is in it and how much it ties into the New Testament. And um, I like to say the deeper you go, the deeper it gets. And you can be uh, uh, seven years old in a Sunday school class and understand who Jesus is and know him in a personal way. So when it talks about sowing and reaping here, um, if you do it the other way, um, if you sow to the flesh, well, the flesh will reap corruption. Corruption. But then it says in verse 9, I'm particularly interested in. And let us not grow weary while doing good, for in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. And I have underlined in my Bible um, don't become weary. In the days that we're living in right now, a lot of people are weary, a lot of people are overcome. And um, I've been trying to make the point on a weekly basis that if David says, "When when I am overwhelmed, when my heart is overwhelmed within me, then lead me to the rock that is higher than I," and I like to say, if David could be overwhelmed, how about you and me? Well, obviously we're just human; we're made of flesh. And um, but as you sow to the spirit, like we're doing this morning, we find oh. It's okay to become weary, and it's possible. Yeah, sure is. And um, so the title is a choice either to press on and how to press on rather than falling back. I have Old Testament pictures for both this morning. Um, in Second Thessalonians 3, verse 13, it says, But as for you, brethren, do not grow weary in doing good. Turn with me, if you would, to the book of Philippians chapter 3, and we'll look at two verses there. Philippians chapter 3, verses 12 through 14 tells us, not that I have already attained or am already made perfect, but I press on. Um, I like the fact that Paul comes right out and he tells us, you are never going to be perfect in this world. You're never going to achieve that achievement. Um, But I'm going to press on that I may may lay hold of that which Jesus Christ has also laid hold to me. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended. But one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward, in other words, pressing on, to those things which are ahead. I press towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Another way of saying don't look back because the Lord has forgiven your sins from your past. No need to look back. You're free from that. And then we're told in Matthew, don't take thought for tomorrow. Sufficient for today is the evil thereof. Joanne's wondering what are we going to do about the pool? And when I was, I, wa- I was watching her facial expression when Tim was up here and I uh, said, we bought a pool. She went, oh. <laughs> uh, you want me to pick on John instead? <laughs> it's okay. <laughs> so um, why do we have baptism? For one reason and one reason only. Because Jesus told us to. Go into all the world and preach the gospel, the Great Commission, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. You're associating yourself to Christ by being baptized. Baptism does not save you. If you say baptism saves you, you just became another gospel. You want to give me an amen on that? Why? Because it's adding something to the finished work on the cross. The thief on the cross was not baptized. As far as I know, the woman caught in the act of adultery was not baptized. And uh, baptism um, uh, is just adding on to. Uh, I want you to turn to the book of Hebrews chapter 12. And it gives us sort of advice on how to keep pressing on. Hebrews 12, first couple of verses. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, um, let us lay aside every weight and sin which so easily besets us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. How do we keep pressing on? Well, by fixing our eyes upon Jesus. And by doing that, um, our eyes are on him and not the situation and the problem And it's one of the ways that we press on. Of course, the great illustration in the New Testament is when Peter asked the Lord if he could come and walk on the water with him, because the Lord was walking on water. And Peter said, Can I do that, Lord? Command me to come out to you. And he says, Come on out. And he got out and he started walking on water. But it was stormy, and he took his eyes off the Lord, and he put it on the storm, and down he went. So the illustration is as long as we're uh, seeking the Lord and keeping our eyes on the Lord, we'll be going forward, and we'll be pressing on. Jesus pressed on, endured the cross, and he did it for you and I. Did he want to? No. No. He actually said, Father, if there's any other way, any other way that mankind can be restored to fellowship with you, then that's what I'm voting for. And there was no other way. And so he pressed on. And why did he do it? Well, we're told here that we're to do these things out of love. And uh, bear one another's burdens and uh, love one another. And give you an example in a New Testament one that um, is really a mind blower it's in Acts chapter 14 Acts chapter 14 little background here Paul and Barnabas are on one of their missionary journeys and they end up in uh, they heal the man in Lystra and um, guy had never, yeah, had never walked before in verse 8. And um, everybody knew it. And now Paul goes to him and says with a loud voice, Stand up, in verse 10. And he leaped up and he walked. And everybody goes, Holy smokes, the gods have come down to us. And the priest of, uh, of Zeus, whose temple was in front of the city, brought out oxen and garland and they, they called Barnabas, they called Zeus and Paul Herm, Hermas because he was the chief speaker. So they were actually looking because of the miracle that was done that only God can do and he was using Paul and Barnabas to accomplish this. So they want to worship them. But um, Paul says, hold on, hold on, not so fast. We aren't any different than you are. We read that in verse um, tw- uh, fifteen. We are also men of the same nature uh, as you and preached to you that you should turn from your vain things to the living God who made the heavens and the earth. and uh, with these sayings, they could not scarcely restrain the multitudes from sacrificing to him. However, the the city was split over what was happening because we read in verse 19 that then some of the Jews from Antioch and Iconium, they were following Paul around, came there and having persuaded the multitudes, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing him to be dead. I believe he was dead. And I believe that's what he took his little trip to heaven. But the next verse says, however, when the disciples gathered around him, he rose up and he went into the city. Can I read that again? The people in this city just stoned him to death as far as they're concerned. He comes back to life. What would you do? Oh honey, I forgot I got to pick up a quart of milk at the store. I'll meet you at home soon. <laughs> this is what this is what pressing on is all all about. They killed him. and it blows my mind here where, where it says, "They he rose up and he went into the city, the same city that stoned him, and the next day he departed with Barnabas to Derby." I call that pressing on, in in the face of. Um, of um, people who really do want to kill you. Now, let me give you an Old Testament picture of pressing on. We need to go to the book of Joshua. Joshua chapter 14. And we're gonna read verses. um, What we have here is... um, they're in the promised land, and there's 12 tribes. And what we're reading in chapter 14, each one of these chapters gives the um, um, the dimensions, how much land they're going to get, where they're going to get it, so on and so forth. So when we're in chapter 14, we're, we're looking at the boundaries of... Um, of the Boundaries of Caleb. Let's read about Caleb. And um, we'll pick it up in verse 6. Then the children of Judah came to Joshua in Gilgal. And Caleb, the son of Yopuninah, or something like that, the Chesonite, said to him, You know, the word which the Lord said to Moses, uh, the man of God concerning you and me, and Kadesh Barnea. I was 40 years old when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to spy out the land. Okay, everybody remember that before they went into the land, they sent 10 spies to check it out. That's what he's referring to here. And I brought back word to him as it was in my heart. Nevertheless, my brethren who went up with me made the heart of the people melt, but I wholly followed the Lord my God. So Moses swore on that day, saying, Surely the land where your foot has trodden shall be your inheritance, and your children's forever, because you have wholly followed the Lord my God. And now, behold, the Lord has kept me alive, as he said, these 45 years. So guy's what, 85 85 years old at this point. Uh, Even since the Lord spoke the word to Moses while lingering, wandering in the wilderness, and now here I am this day, 85 years old. Yet, I'm as strong this day as I was on that day. And that Moses set me, just as my strength was then, so now is my strength for war. And then was then, so now is my strength for war, both for going out and for coming in. Now therefore, give me this mountain, of which the Lord spoke in that day. For you heard that in that day how the Anakim were there, these are the giants, and that the cities were great and fortified. It may be that the Lord will be with me, and I shall be able to drive them out at, at the, as the Lord said. And Joshua blessed him, and gave him Hebron to Caleb, the son of Jephuniah, as an inheritance Hebron therefore became the inheritance of Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, the Kenizite, to this day because he wholly followed the Lord God of Israel. And the name of Hebron was formerly Kajeth Arba, for Arba was the greatest man among the Anakim. In other words, he was the biggest giant. Then the land had rest from war Now, turn with me to numbers chapter 13, and let's add a little bit of detail to what we just read. Numbers chapter 13, where we see the, the, this event taking place in chapter 13 picking it up in verse 25, and they return from spying out the land after 40 days. So they departed and came back to Moses and Aaron and all the congregation and the children of Israel in the wilderness of Paran in Kadesh. And they brought back word to them and to all the congregation and showed them the fruit of the land. And they told him and said, we went into the land where you sent sent us. It truly flows with milk and honey and this is its fruit. Nevertheless, the people who dwell in the land are strong. The cities are fortified, very large. Moreover, we saw the descendants of Anak there, who was um, part of the giants. The Amalekites dwelt in the land of the south. The Hittites, the Jebusites, the Ammonites, dwell in the mountains, Canaanites dwell by the sea and along the banks of the Jordan. Then Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, let's go up at once, take possession, for we are well able to overcome it. But the men who had gone up with him said, we are not able to go up against the people, for they are stronger than we are. And they gave the children of Israel a bad report of the land which they had spied out saying the land through which we have gone as spies in a land that devours its inhabitants and all the people whom we saw are men of great stature the they there <laughs> we saw the giants the descendants of enoch came from the giants and we were like Grasshoppers in our own sight, and so we were in their sight. Just a sidetrack here. This is not my notes. It's a question I get asked periodically. When the flood came, it said everybody was killed, and only Noah and the eight remained, except for the animals that were in the boat. But all the people were killed are Jebusites people our Canaanites people um, and there's giants here it says in Genesis 6 that there were giants then and after so what does that tell us well we're spiritual beings my friend we have spirits and we have a soul They are both eternal. They don't die. And so the idea that there were giants afterwards and um, evidently what had happened is that there was a COVID outbreak that was real that infected the whole world. That wasn't in my notes either. But imagine a whole world being infected with something. And... You often get the question asked, or at least I do, how can a loving God tell the children of Israel to go in and kill everything? Men, women, children, children? Why? Well, what if they're infected with somebody and it had to be eradicated? Just think it through, I'm not, I'm not saying that's the case, but I've, it makes sense to me. And the fact that there really is giants He's Anakin afterwards. That's what it says in Genesis. They were before the flood and they were after the flood. But the main point of the old picture testament I'm pressing on here. Here's a guy 85 years old. <laughs> uh, if you're 85, listen up. <laughs> or older. Um, Here's a guy who, for 40 years, he was probably in good shape and strength. He says, "I'm just as strong now as I was then, and I'm 85 years old." And um, his attitude is, "I want to go back to the place that you promised me." Yeah, but there's giants there. You know, you know what his per- perspective was, Caleb? Those giants are grasshoppers in the sight of my God. There yeah, no, he followed the Lord what, Holy, fully, and Moses said to him, "You got it because you followed the Lord wholly, and when you went into the land, you didn't see it as your fight, you saw it as God's fight." And there was only two of them that gave that report. Now we come back, all these years later. Uh, Caleb wanted to press on, he wanted to keep going. Because Caleb's God is a lot bigger though, than those giants. And I think it's a great Old Testament picture on pressing on when the Lord is the one who's doing the fighting for you. All right, on the other hand, others fall back. If you go to chapter 14, verse 4, remember they're coming out of the land. <clears throat> of Egypt and um, verse 4 let's go back to verse 2 let's go back to verse (laughs) 1 let's go back to the book of Genesis start over Numbers 14 verse 1 then all the congregation lifted up their voice and cried and the people wept that night and all the children of Israel murmured I like that word, murmur, against Moses and Aaron. And the whole congregation said to them, if only we had died in the land of Egypt, or if only we had died in the wilderness, why has the Lord brought us to this land to fall by the sword that our wives and children should become victims? Would not it it had been better for us to return to Egypt. So they said to one another, let's select a leader and return to Egypt. They wanna go back, they wanna fall back. From what were they involved with? Bitter bondage, for how long? 400 years and they wanted to go back to that They weren't thinking about the work so much, but they were thinking of the leeks and the onions and the cucumbers and the watermelons, physical stuff. And um, to me, I think it's, uh, um, we see this on the other hand, this example of them wanting to go back to where they came from Um, How many of you have ever heard of Keith Green and his album called So You Want to Go Back to Egypt? Some of you old timers? (laughs) Uh, It's a classic. Um, And uh, he's got a great great song about So You Want to Go Back to Egypt. And the irony is very sarcastic on this album. When Dylan was walking with the Lord, On his saved album, he's got a song called Press It On. Press it on to the higher calling of my Lord. Yeah, when Dylan got saved at an offshoot of Calvary Chapel, he did a 170 Christian concert with black gospel singers behind him. No secular stuff. And some of the best albums I've ever heard. And, um, you know, Sometimes too much fame and too much money can really mess people up. And that's why we're told in the scriptures, warn those who are rich. I would say also warn those who are very, very talented and could have extra attention paid to them. It can do bad things to them. I don't know where Dylan is at with the Lord today, but I went to three of his concerts, and one of my favorite songs that he does is Press It On to the Higher Calling Of our Lord. And he preached the gospel straight on for those 170 straight concerts, nonstop. Um, You can get the documentary. It's worth seeing. It's very, very good. As you can tell, I'm a Dylan fan. (laughs) Okay, now, in Paul's case, it was teaching the Galatian church from falling back to keep the law. That's what the whole book of Galatians is about. Don't fall back to the old ways of keeping the law. You're now, it's another gospel. It will snare you, it will entangle you. You'll lose your freedom that you have. But if you're saved apart from anything that you can do, then you'll know the truth and the truth will make you free. What truth? That I'm not involved in this equation. Like Paul, I'm never going to be perfect. Ask your husband. <laughs> Ask your wife. They'll tell you, nope, he's not perfect. <laughs> nope, she's not perfect. And now half, half the people here move this far away from each other. <laughs> Just kidding. Um, I do want to um, talk about and expose in the same way that Paul exposed the Judaizers. He said, here's the problem, and these are the people creating the problem. They're Pharisees and they're Judaizers, and they're trying to bring in another gospel that's gonna take you right back into bondage. Let's bring it up to current times, the times that we live in today, And this is what many churches are doing today. Turn with me to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. And we'll read the first three verses. Now brethren, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together to him, we ask you not to be soon shaken in mind or troubled either by spirit or by word or by letter as it was from us as though the day of Christ had come. Evidently, somebody wrote a letter, uh, told them they were in the tribulation, that they missed the rapture, or there's two interpretations here I'm gonna give you both. Um, Many, many good Bible teachers have two different interpretations about what I'm about to read. As though the day of Christ had come. Let no one deceive you, verse three, uh, you will by deceive you by any means, for that day will not come unless the falling away comes first. I want to look at the word falling away. Very good Bible teachers say this is a rapture verse. And um, other very good Bible teachers say, using the word apostasia in the Greek, it is falling away from sound doctrine and adding to it and making it something that's not the gospel of Jesus Christ. I lean in that direction, but I don't argue if a person teaches otherwise um, because actually it could be both. Um, And for that day will not come unless the falling away or false doctrine, or the rapture. And the man of sin is revealed, the son of perdition. Well, as far as um, who opposes and exalts himself above all who is called God or is at worship so that he sits as God in the temple of God showing himself that he is God. Now what I like about this is he says, don't you guys remember that? When I I taught you these things, you know how long he was in this church in Thessalonica? Three weeks. What? He was teaching the rapture, (laughs) the falling away, the Antichrist, being in the temple in three weeks' time? Yep. You know, he had Bible studies that lasted till three o'clock in the morning, and people fell asleep and fell out of windows and and died? I don't ever want to hear anybody complain about me giving a long Bible study. (laughs) <laughs> so which is it well I do lead towards um, um, go to 1st Timothy chapter 1 1st Timothy chapter 1 and we'll look at verses 1 and 2 now the spirit expressly says that in the latter times that's us some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons. Well, anything that you add to the gospel of Jesus Christ, Paul says, is another gospel. Oh, foolish Galatians, don't fall for that. So what he's saying here is there are other doctrines that are being added, and as far as Paul and our understanding of Galatians is... Um, simply not biblical and we could go through the list here but speaking lies and hypocrisy having their own conscience sheared with a hot iron forbidding to marry well who forbids to marry well if you want to be a nun or a priest that's qualification how much trouble has that got them into Um, and commanding to abstain from food which God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know know the truth. Turn the page to 2 Timothy chapter 4. Paul to Timothy in verse 1 says, I charge you therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who will judge the living and the dead, at his appearing and at his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season, out of season, convince, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and teaching. Why, for the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers, and they I would add to that, telling them what they want to hear instead of what they need to hear. And they will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. But you be watchful. I would put in the word there, no, you press on. Be watchful in all things, endure affliction. Um, Do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. Now, I'm gonna give an example, and as Paul called out the Judaizers, so I'm going to call out an organization known as the Gospel Coalition. And I'm gonna call it out publicly, I'm gonna name names, and um, some, of the, some people would say that some of the finest Bible teachers in the world are part of the Gospel Coalition. But I'm gonna read a couple of paragraphs that explain What it is, it was founded in 2005. The Gospel Coalition, otherwise known as TGC, has a huge presence in um, evangelicalism. It exists as a network to link various types of churches together according to their own doctrinal cultural views. This they have done. Co-founded by popular New York Presbyterian pastor Tim Keller, It hosts a slate of blogs of conservative Christians and has produced more than 50 live events. The Gospel Coalition website generates an estimated 65 million annual page viewers and includes thousands of posts on a range of topics. The Gospel Coalition Church Network boasts nearly 8,000 congregations nationwide. The Gospel Coalition brand of Christianity is both conservative and Calvinistic, but according to its tagline, they feel called to promote cultural transformation. Uh, Numerous articles addressed how and why Christians should engage culture. The About page on its website says they desire to help Christians truly speak and live for Christ in a way that clearly communicates to our age. At times this approach has in, at times this approach has involved the use of the phrase "social justice," which invites significant controversy due to its connection with progressive secular, politics. On this point, more so than any other, the Gospel Coalition experiences criticism and controversy. In the opinion of some, their view is balanced and reasonable according to scripture. Others feel that the Gospel Coalition is drifting too far toward a political or radical change uh, stance that is more grounded in culture trends than its core truth, i.e. the gospel. In 2014, in partnership um, with uh, Redeemer Presbyterian Church, they released their new catechism, which includes 52 questions and answers that were adapted by Tib Keller and Sam Shamaras from Reformation Catechism to help children and adults understand the important tenets of the faith, primarily by promoting their reformed theology and social justice mindset to that huge network of churches nationwide. The Gospel Coalition currently has 22 regional chapters throughout the U.S. and Canada and include, and this is where we're naming names, leaders and pastors and authors and theologians such as Albert Moeller, Alistair Begg, Ray Ortland, Ruslan Moore, David Platt, John Piper. The Gospel Coalition has an active presence on social media, including Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and others, where they post articles dealing with current issues, inspirational quotes, and videos. Um, this is a pretty good article, but Mary actually has a book. Uh, We have him here, and she's going to have some of these on the table out after the study. S is for social justice, the language of today's cultural revolution. And um, she's got two paragraphs here on the social gospel. And I think it's very well written. Social gospel, an ecumenical socialist creed that emphasizes the need for social reform in an attempt to promote political change and bring a form of justice to every race, class, and oppressed group, it de emphasizes individual conversion to Christ while extolling, promoting community unity and common good. In contrast, Jesus did not promote political change but redeemed the hearts of sinners. Going on with social justice, um, a temporal kind of justice that addresses the privileges and rights that every human must be allowed to have in society. This is economic justice, racial justice, gender justice, civil rights justice, beginning to sound familiar, but primarily revolves around economic justice, which of course is the outcome of socialism. Distribution of wealth, a social justice warrior is someone who actively promotes these issues and sees himself as a corrector of society's greatest wrongs. This is taking precedent in many churches and we can see the effect that it's had on our country over the past several years. Now, socialism, um, a political theory that advances government ownership and administration of a society, products of goods and services versus private ownership. In other words, you'll own nothing and be happy. Another way of saying it. There are various types of social governments in the world, and each one might uh, incorporate this ideology differently. In other words, it's a large organization, and they all don't have the same particular views. Uh, Having said that, I'd like you to turn with me to um, another Old Testament verse in the book of Exodus. Now, before we go there, let's go to Revelation Revelation chapter three. I take the view that beginning with Ephesus, that there's a chronological order of church history being laid out before us. Of um, the seven churches, I believe there are seven different time periods. Ephesus would have been um, the first 100 years of the church. Smyrna, the persecuted church, would have been up to about 312. That's when Constantine got saved. But until then, if you were a Christian, you got killed or you bowed your knee to the emperor and you denied Christ. And then we see uh, different time frames depicted in the seven letters of the seven churches. The church of Laodicea is the last one. So I'm looking at chapter 3, and I'm reading 14, And I believe this is the last day church. Before I do that, I don't believe Calvary Chapel of Appleton is the church of Laodicea. Are we clear on this point? (laughs) I would like to believe that we are the church of Philadelphia where he says to them, because you have kept, in verse 10, because you have kept my command to preserve, um, No, we need to go up to verse eight. I know your work, see I have set before you an open door. No one can shut it, for you have little strength. You have kept my word and have not denied my name. Now verse 10, and because you've kept my command to preserve, I'm also gonna keep you from the hour of trial which shall come upon the whole world. Other than COVID, what other trial is gonna impact the whole world? Answer, the tribulation. And he's going to keep them from that. Well, how's he going to do that? Oh, he's going to rapture us out of here, just like 1 Thessalonians 5 says. So we want to be Philadelphia. I need a big amen on that one. We do not want to be a Laodicea. Now, the last day church, the characteristics of it. Verse 14, And to the angel of the church of Laodicea write, these things says the amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation. I know your works, that you're neither cold nor hot. I wish that you were cold or hot, so that because you're lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I'm going to spew you, literally vomit you out of my mouth. Because you say, I'm rich, there's a prosperity doctrine, I become wealthy, I have need of nothing but what you don't realize is that you're wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire. This is a reference to when a person goes through a trial that is being sanctified and purified. And the illustration it uses, just like gold is purified when it goes through the fire. So he says, I'm counseling you. Learn to go through a trial. Don't buy your way out of a situation. Be like Paul, get up and go back in, press on. That you may be rich and uh, white garments that you may be clothed that the shame of your nakedness may not be revealed and anoint your eyes with eyesad that you may see. As many as I love, I rebuke and chastise, therefore be zealous and repent. Repent of what? For being lukewarm, for being indifferent, for really not caring about anybody but themselves. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. Now, don't we use that as a witnessing verse? We tell people, you know, Jesus is here right now, knocking at the door of your heart. He wants to come in. He wasn't, I don't see Jesus saying that to anybody that he ever witnessed to. He's talking to a church here. Where's Jesus? He's on the outside trying to get in. That's what's being said here. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I'll come in to him and dine with him and he with me. And to him who overcomes, I will grant to sit with me on my throne as I also overcame and sat down on my father's throne. He who has an ear to hear, let him hear what the spirit says to that church. Old Testament picture of this is in Exodus chapter 16, just a couple of verses Exodus 16, and I made a point of this already, but again, um, I want to re- reiterate and give you an old, another Old Testament picture of it. Uh, chapter 16, verses one through three, and they journeyed from Elam, and all the congregation of the children of Israel came to the wilderness of Sin, which is between Elon and the Sinai on the fifteenth day of the second month, after they departed from the land of Egypt. And then the whole congregation of Israel murmured against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And the children of Israel said to them, Oh, that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt, when we ate by the pots of meat, and when we ate the bread to be full. We were rich. We had it all. And, um, but you have brought us out into the wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. They looked back. They didn't want to walk by faith. They didn't know that God was gonna provide manna from heaven. Didn't know that he was gonna provide water uh, for two million people. And um, first, if you're taking notes, First Corinthians 10:4 says, that rock that followed them was Christ. And he was the one that the Lord used to provide um, their ability to make it those 40 years so that Caleb could actually say, okay, we're here. Now I want to go take on some giants. Let me at them. He was pressing on. But the majority, and this this is an important point. Do you guys know that you're a minority because you're in a church that does what we do? Just teaches all the Bible and nothing but the Bible. As Dave Hawking would say, just the Bible, the whole Bible, and nothing but the Bible. And um, then he would ask for a Dave Hawking, Amen. So I might as well, too. Yeah. That's pretty good. That's pretty good. We need to keep praying for David. I talked to Jade recently, and um, he's relatively in the same condition. Uh, we'll say hi to him. We're going to be closing this morning by looking at uh, Romans chapter 12. So let's go there and we'll close this up. I'm going to leave you with a word of encouragement. When we're in despair, overcome, depressed, first of all, know that it's okay, but just take it to the Lord. Cast your cares upon him because what? He cares for you. Last week we talked about his peace that he wants to give to you. So Paul's example for pressing on, he gets killed, they leave him as dead, comes back to life, gets back up, and goes back into town, and keeps preaching the gospel. Press on. And um, what we read here in verse 12, and we will close with this is um, verse 12 Romans 12 verse 1 I beg you as a idea I beg you therefore brethren by the mercies of God that you present your body a living sacrifice wholly acceptable to God which is your reasonable service what was Caleb known for he wholly followed the Lord he gave God is all in all. And then it says, but look out and don't be conformed by the CBS evening news. Do not be conformed to this world. We're not of this world. We're a peculiar people, the Bible says. And be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Well, what are we doing right now? We're sowing to the spirit, Right? How do you get your mind renewed? By being in God's word. Renewing your mind from what you used to think to what this book tells you you should think. But be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Why? So that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. What is God's will for your life? I've had people come up and say, I don't know what God's will is for my life. Got any ideas? I said, sure. Bible tells us straight out. Um, It says, God's will for your life is to be what? Thankful. That's his will for your life. That's what it says. And um, there's only one way you can achieve that. And that is um, who's doing the conforming. Are you pressing on and... There's always somebody in a crowd this size or some place around the world that's watching. And they're at that point right now. They're on a precipice. And they're actually thinking about turning back. Uh, Their church was closed for a couple years. They got used to that. So they stopped going to church. Or they see um, the influence that the gospel coalition is having. It's a social program. It's not the gospel. And it needs to be called out as such, and uh, don't let them conform you. I don't care how good the Bible teacher is. There's some good names that I name there. They're good Bible teachers, but just by the fact that they're associated and are in leadership position in the Gospel Coalition, I have to write them off and expose them in the same way that Paul wrote off the Judaizers. We don't want to be called old oh, foolish Appletonians. <laughs> No, we want to be of the church of Philadelphia keeps the word of God and God's going to keep in all close with this and I know I said that twice already but the Bible says that you have not been appointed to wrath and that we are to know the times and the seasons and that we're going to be raptured out of here and then in verse 11 of chapter 5 of First Thessalonians 5 it says, therefore, another therefore Therefore, what? Comfort one another with these words. I don't want you leaving here this morning thinking we could get nuked. No, I want you leaving this place this morning knowing that God wants you comforted. Why? Because before it all hits the fan, and believe me, it is going to hit the fan, God has a purpose and a plan, and he has a place that he's prepared for you, and therefore he said to his disciples, Therefore, comfort one another with these words. Amen? Amen. Let's stand and close the prayer. Lord, as we finish this book of Galatians, we thank you for your word. And um, we pray for all the stuff that's going on in the world right now. And um, pray, Lord, that you would keep us in the eye of the hurricane. With the hurricane all around us, Keep us in that place where it's calm, where it's still, where we can meditate and think on you and and sow to the seed of the spirit and allow the word of God to be planted deeply so that we're strongly rooted and grounded so that absolutely nothing could um, take away our understanding of the good news, which we call the gospel. Please go before us this week In Jesus' name we pray, all God's people said.